Well, I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 118, verses 26 through 29. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. Steadfast love, faithfulness. Oh, Father, you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd enable us to give you all praise, all glory, all honor, now and forevermore. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I invite you to sing with me number 247. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator.
for our time of confession of sin and pronouncement of pardon, I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I'll first be reading verses 4 through 8, leading us in a prayer of confession, and continuing on with verses 9 through 12. Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are righteous, you are just, you are love, you are truth, everything that is right and perfect and good has its source in you. Oh, Father, again, we, we come before you and we want to humble ourselves before you, acknowledging that we are weak but you are strong. We are absolutely dependent on you in all things. In the forgiveness of every sin, through the crucifixion of your son, Jesus Christ, every breath that we breathe, everything, we are absolutely dependent on you. So Father, again, we want to humble ourselves and confess those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. Oh, Father, we, we pray that you'd continue to strengthen us as we come before you in repentance, that you would continue to sanctify us and grow us in your truth. So, Father, we confess to you now in our hearts and in our minds.
Hebrews 6, starting at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have been called and drawn, given the gifts of repentance and faith, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, know this, you are forgiven. You have been adopted and you are loved by your heavenly Father. In Christ's glorious name, amen. As we continue in our time of confession of faith, we continue looking at the Kanzador. We are in the section of the Kanzador speaking of the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints. So this morning, I invite you to read with me Article 4, the danger of true believers falling into serious sins. So Article 4, you'll find this in your bulletin. I invite you to read along with me. Although that power of God strengthening and preserving true believers in grace is more than a match for the flesh. Yet those converted are not always so activated and motivated by God that in certain specific actions they cannot, by their own fault, depart from the leading of grace, be led astray by the desires of the flesh and give in to them. For this reason, they must constantly watch and pray that they may not be led into temptations. When they fail to do this, not only can they be carried away by the flesh, the world, and Satan into sins, even serious and outrageous ones, but also by God's just permission, they sometimes are so carried away, witness the sad case described in Scripture of David, Peter, and other saints falling into sins. What a powerful reminder. Ultimately, our hope, our security, our peace is in God's sovereign care, love, that he will hold us, that we are in the hands of the good shepherd who will never lose any of his sheep. That's God's absolute sovereign promise and will. And we also see reminding the Kanzador of the clear reality of human responsibility, that we are called to put to death to seek and serve the Lord, to give him glory in all things. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you again that we can come before you. 
We can come before you because of the crucifixion of your son, Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, (coughs) Christ died for the elect of every tribe, nation, language, and people. Oh, Father, how amazing it is. Your grace, your mercy, and love. Father, we can come before you because in your son, Jesus Christ, we have a high priest, fully God, who took on flesh, tempted in every way, yet without sin, paying the full penalty of our debts, satisfying your holy, just wrath on the cross. Oh, Father, we can come before you because your son, Jesus Christ, has died for us, that he has been raised so that we who belong to him have been raised to new life. Oh, Father, we can come before you because your son, Jesus Christ, intercedes on behalf of the elect, all those who will come to repentance and faith. Oh, Father, we can come before you because the Holy Spirit dwelling within us who are saved groans on our behalf. So, Father, we thank you that with boldness, not because of our righteousness, but because we have been clothed in the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, that with boldness we can come before your throne of grace, that we can cry out to you, knowing that you hear the cries of your children, that you care for us, you love us, and you turn all things for your glory, for the good of those who love you. So, Father, we thank you that we can come before you, knowing that in, by, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, you hear our prayers. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us. Help us, oh Lord. Help us. Help us to live more and more according to the Holy Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us. Help us to put to death the flesh, to not return to the ways of this fallen world, the lies and deceptions of the devil. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd fix our hearts and minds on the truth that is your Son, Jesus Christ, that we could walk in freedom, in joy, and in peace that is only found in you. So, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we pray that you would grow us in the fruit of the Spirit within, within our marriages, within our workplaces, within our families. Every opportunity you give us to shine the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'd fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ, on things above. Help us, O Lord, as we find ourselves to continue to stumble and fall into, over the obstacles of the idols of this world. Oh, Father, we pray that you would cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds,
with your word. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. Those who are facing tremendous persecution, opposition. The loss of their jobs, the loss of their homes, families divided, imprisonment, torture and martyrdom. Because of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, because of his name, because of the truth of your word. Father, we pray that you'd be their strength, be their comfort, their hope. Father, we pray for the church in North Korea, throughout the Middle East, in China, parts of Indonesia. Oh, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we pray for Reverend Mahai and the church he is serving there in Romania. Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen him, be with him, be with the the elders, the leadership of the church as they continue to spread your gospel, shine the light in the midst of the darkness there. Oh, Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen and guide and grow them in your truth. Oh, Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for wisdom. Help us, O Lord, to hold to the truth and authority of your word in the midst of the opposition we face from the world. Oh, Father, we pray for those who are in positions of authority and power over us. Father, we pray for our president and his administration. We pray for our governor, local county commissioners, leaders. Oh, Father. We pray that they would see your truth. That they would make decisions, legislation, enforcement of things that coincide with your truth. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd help us to remain true regardless of the persecution and opposition. Father, we pray for the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Oh, Father, we pray that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would serve you with their lives. Father, we do pray in these coming weeks as school begins. Father, we pray that you would watch over them, guide them. Father, we pray that you would fix their eyes, that they would know you and love you and serve you. Oh, Father, we pray for... For those who are in a time of need, Father, we continue to pray for Ruth's mother. Father, we pray for your strength, your comfort, your peace in the midst of her treatments. Father, we continue to lift up to you Wendy Lou's sister-in-law, her husband, the daughters. Oh, Father, as she continues in these treatments, Father, we pray that their eyes would be directed to you, that they would know your truth that they would know the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we do continue to lift up to you, Deborah. We pray for healing, strength, comfort, your peace, your love, your care. Father, we do continue to lift up Marcia to you. Oh, Father, that you would continue to hold her in your righteous right hand. Father, we thank you. It is because of the love that we experience each and every day. 
that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we continue in 1 Thessalonians this morning, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 16. So I invite you to please rise and read with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displease God, and oppose all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word is breathed out by you. All authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant, and infallible. Oh, Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would grow us in wisdom and discernment that you would grow us and guard us in the faith, grow us in the truth, so that we could think, speak, live in the freedom that is only found in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to invite any children who would like to, to come up to the front row here for the children's message. something or put something together without looking at instructions. 
Have you ever done that? No? Did it work out? Kind of. Did you ever start and then at some point someone finally said, maybe we need to look at the instructions? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, that's, that's happened to me a lot. That's happened to me a lot. Well, the Apostle Paul is praising God for some very important reason in our passage. When we go through it, I want you to listen carefully. And what Paul is thanking God for is that the Christians in the church in Thessalonica, that they held on to God's word, that they studied it, they loved it, they learned it, and they were teaching it to others. And they knew that without God's word, they knew nothing of what is life and peace and joy and salvation in Christ, that they are that dependent on God's word. So that's my hope and prayer for each and every one of us, is that we would so love God's word that we would go to it and know our absolute need of it in all things. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would grow us and guide us in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You guys head back to your seats. You guys can go back now. So we are continuing in 1 Thessalonians, this amazing passage of Scripture. And we see a key theme that the Apostle Paul keeps coming to in 1 Thessalonians. This is one of the most dominant, important themes of this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And the theme is... Who ultimately do we fear? Who ultimately do we put our trust in? Who ultimately are we seeking to find our peace in? Who ultimately are we identifying with? Who ultimately is the one or the ones that we are finding our life in. Is it man or is it God? Is it the world or is it the kingdom of Christ? Is it the deception and lies of the devil in this fallen world or is it the power of the Holy Spirit in God's living and active word? That's what it all comes down to. Are you still in the kingdom of darkness Or have you been transferred through the crucifixion, the resurrection, the interceding, the life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Are you a child of the devil or are you a child of God? This is the back and forth that the Apostle Paul keeps describing. There is nothing in between those two realities. Either you're saved 
or you're damned. Either you are in Christ or you're separated from Christ. This is this key reality that the Apostle Paul keeps highlighting the distinctions and differences of for the church in Thessalonica. So again, First Thessalonians, we see where this comes up again and again. And in our passage, we see where the Apostle Paul begins again with gratitude to God. First Thessalonians 2, verse 13, here again is this gratitude to God. And we also thank God constantly for this. So what is one of the main constant reasons that the Apostle Paul, Timothy, Silas, that they just praise God, they just thank you, God. And it's this reality, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. So that's salvation. That is eternal life. That is what it means to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, bound for hell, eternal conscious torment, to be transferred from that into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, bound for eternal life in the new heaven, new earth. It is, is God's word from him, is it breathed out by him? Is it truth in all things? So it comes down to your view of scripture because your view of scripture is ultimately your view of the gospel is your view of Jesus Christ. That's what the apostle Paul is doing here. We saw that's how he began First Thessalonians. If you go back to chapter one, First Thessalonians one, verse four, you see, He's repeating here this statement that he already said in the first chapter. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. And this is how he says it here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So now he's going to give evidence, a reason that he knows that there are elect, that there are those who have been predestined. There are those whom Christ has died for, whom the Father has foreknown, who the Spirit has come and made alive. And what is the chief evidence of this reality? Again, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, verse 5, because, so this is the how do they know this, because our gospel came to you not only in word. So they didn't just hear it and think, oh, these are words like any other words. If that's merely how they took it, there's no salvation. No, this is how it came because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. So this is where God's breathed out word, living and active, comes 
And those whom God is calling, those whom the shepherd has died for and is calling, the sheep will hear his voice. So the word of God, the gospel is proclaimed and the Holy Spirit gives ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, a new heart to trust and believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that produce? but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's it. You actually believe it. You believe it so much that you trust it. You believe God's word so much that when the world and when the devil and when even your old flesh continues to fight against the truth of God's word, you say, no, God's word is truth, it is life, it is light, and I will not listen to the lies anymore. I will not go back into the darkness. Full conviction. How convicted? That you would hold on to God's truth, even if holding on to it meant your earthly death. That's what the Apostle Paul's going. That's where he's going to go on our passage. That you would hold on to God's word, even if that will lead you into your earthly martyrdom. Hatred by this world. Even if you would lose everything that you thought was your earthly life, you would be willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ. That's what it is to have full conviction of the word of God as being truth. That's what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians 1. Again, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And what was key evidence of this conviction? Verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 1, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction. There's the persecution. There's the opposition. There's the hatred from this world. There's the loss of their jobs, being sent out of the synagogues, being persecuted by the Roman authorities, being imprisoned, losing their lives. This was the martyrdom. This was the persecution that was taking place in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There it is. That's the full conviction. That's the power and working of the Holy Spirit that even in the midst of the hatred of this world, of persecution, opposition, you can still have peace. You can have joy. You can rejoice. Even in the midst of these things. Because God's word is true. God's promises are true. It is true that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It is true that you have died and your life is in Christ. It is true that he's coming back. And you will be with him forever. These things are true. No matter what the world says. No matter what the lies and deceptions of the world and the devil, 
That is what is truth. That's the full conviction. So we saw that in chapter 1. So again, that's where the Apostle Paul is going in chapter 2. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. And as we already saw in chapter one, that's because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit bring that about, which is at work in you believers. That's what the word of God does for those whom God is saving through the proclamation of the word, which is the only way Anyone is saved. Faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of God. And one be get given a new heart to believe, a new mind to understand and trust that you trust and believe in Christ. It's at work in you. It is living and active. It's transforming you. It has justified you and it is sanctifying you, growing you in the likeness of Christ until we partake in his glory at his second coming. This is the reality of Hebrews chapter 4. When we see 1 Thessalonians 2, where it speaks of the word of God, which is that work in you believers. This is the work. This is the new birth. This is the transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews here is making a contrast. He's making a contrast between the disobedient Jews during the time of Moses, during the time of Joshua, all through during the time of Christ, and even during the time of the early church. Those who continued to oppose Christ, oppose the gospel. He talks about them never attaining the Sabbath rest of God. Because the only place one finds the Sabbath rest is in Jesus Christ, is by Jesus Christ, is for Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you never have that rest. You never have that peace. You never have that joy. Because you do not have salvation apart from true faith in Jesus Christ. So that's Hebrews 4, verse 9. This contrast, verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What's the disobedience spoken of here in Hebrews 4? It's the disobedience of everyone who ultimately thinks that they are saved because in some part they have a righteousness of their own. In some part they are good in and of themselves, that in some part they have done something or are doing something that contributes to their salvation, that in their pride 
they are in some way right with God. Yes, they need Christ to help. They need God to help. But there is something in and of themselves that makes them worthy of salvation. That's the disobedience. And author of Hebrews here in chapter 4 says, if that is your understanding, you will never have the rest of God. Because ultimately, you are saying that you are saving yourself. And you'll never find rest if you are trying to save yourself. You'll never be able to accomplish that. So again, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. How do you enter the rest of God? Faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, that Christ has done everything on the cross, that he has paid the full penalty of our sins. He has satisfied the wrath, the just holy wrath we deserve. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. He is our joy, that Jesus Christ is our life. That's how you enter the rest of God. And I love verse 11 of Hebrews 4. What are we to do throughout our time of sanctification as we continue on this heaven and earth? We strive to enter that rest. That's an amazing statement. So you want to be in the rest of God? Then you strive in that faith and peace and love by God's strength and mercy. There's no room for complacency. There's no room for presumption. It's having your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Verse 12, how does this take place? Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God's word does. It lays us bare. It exposes every intention, attitude, motivation of every word, thought, and action. It exposes that before God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than the two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that's what God's word does. It lays us bare. So people have two options when the word of God comes before them. Either one continues in unbelief because God's word exposes the truth of who they are and they continue to run into darkness or through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the call of God, the word of God exposes all our sinfulness, all our brokenness, all our rebellion, and we run to Christ so that we are clothed in him. 
so that his blood covers us. His righteousness clothes and covers our nakedness, our shame, our guilt, all forgiven on the cross. So what the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 2 is he's rejoicing that when they heard the word of God, they knew through the power of the Spirit that that was breathed out by God, that the gospel is true, and they have run to Christ. Their eyes are fixed on Christ. He is their righteousness. He is their life. He is their love. He is their peace, their joy, their everything. That's how the word of God is active in believers, growing us up in the likeness of Christ, growing us up in the truth. That's how it is active, living and active. This is the reality of Romans 10, of how what it is to have the word of God through the power of the spirit where you understand that it is not just words of men, but it is the word of God. This is how salvation takes place. Again, Romans 10 at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Romans 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone! That's Isaiah 28, 16. And verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Joel 2.32, whether Jew or Gentile. And that was the truth of the gospel that so many of the Jews that the Apostle Paul presented the gospel to hated. That was what they could not endure. They couldn't endure it. So they sought to contradict, to persecute, and to kill Paul whenever he preached that. That there is one Lord and one gospel, and it didn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile, if you believed in your heart, confessed with your mouth, had true faith in Christ as your Savior, as your righteousness, you're saved. You're a child of God. You have all the promises of God. In Christ Jesus. And that's what infuriated. That's what drove them to jealousy and murderous rage. That's where the Apostle Paul goes in verses 14 through 16. So 1 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 14. For you, brothers, became 
imitators. There's that key word again from chapter one. Imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So, so far in 1 Thessalonians, how the Apostle Paul has lifted up these believers is first and foremost, they have imitated Christ. They have, they are becoming like Christ. They are striving to serve and seek Christ because he is their life. They are imitating the apostles. Paul, they are imitating Timothy and Silas, these other servants of God. So they are imitating the people of God. And what's this third area they are imitating? They are imitating other faithful churches facing persecution and opposition. That's verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now, what the Apostle Paul is bringing up here is this this diaspora. Because the churches in Judea and Jerusalem became terrorized by not only the Jews, but also by Roman governmental officials. But he in here, he's focused mostly on the persecution of the Jews. And the Apostle Paul knows this well because he was, before he became a Christian, one of the chief murderous interrogators and haters of the church. Remember, throughout Jerusalem and Judea, he was trying to round up Christians to have them recant to have them blaspheme the name of Christ, to have them turn away from Christianity. And he even was in favor of them being imprisoned and murdered if they would not. And he went as far as Damascus. He was seeking to do everything to kill, steal, and destroy the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. That's who he was until Christ blinds him so he can see, humbles him so he would die in his pride and know that it is Jesus Christ who is the Messiah, who is the Lord, who is Savior. So the Apostle Paul knows well this murderous rage and hatred toward Christians by the Jews in Judea and Jerusalem. That's what he's speaking of here. Verse 14 again, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen. So he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica. They are experiencing the same hatred, persecution by their countrymen as the churches in Judea faced during that time of hot persecution. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And now verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul gives one of his strongest indictments and warnings against unbelieving Jews. It's verses 15 and 16 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, speaking of these unbelieving Jews who continue in unrepentance and in disobedience to Christ. Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. 
and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. What a statement. Not only do they displease God, they oppose all mankind. How is it that they opposed all mankind? Because in their presumption and pride and rebellion against the gospel, rebellion against the promises of God, rebellion against all the covenants. Remember the covenant God made with Abraham is through you, your offspring, there will be a blessing to every nation. Every nation. They hated that. They could not abide that. They were the children of Jonah. This is what we're seeing here. It's the book of Jonah. Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. How they opposed mankind was saying only Jews are right with God. Only Jews are the people of God. You have to become Jewish to be saved. That's how they opposed all mankind. Verse 15. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Verse 16. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be Saved. That's it. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins with wrath, but wrath has come upon them at last. Filling up the measure of their sins. This goes back to Isaiah There's a powerful passage here in Romans 10. I I started reading from Romans 10. Now I want to read a few more verses because what the Apostle Paul is doing in 1 Thessalonians 2 is what he did in Romans 10. This indictment against those who will not humble themselves and submit to the gospel of God. To be saved means one repents and humbles himself and submits to the gospel of God. To submit to the gospel of God is to acknowledge that I have no righteousness, nothing good in and of myself. I can do nothing to contribute to my salvation. All I deserve is hell. God's holy, just wrath. All I have earned in and of myself is eternal conscious torment. The wages of sin is death. That is what it is to humble and submit to the gospel of God. Again, Romans 10. You see this contrast where Paul ultimately is the apostle to the Gentiles. Romans 10, verse 17 So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 18. 
But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 32. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and with a foolish nation I will make you angry. Verse 20 of Romans 10, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. You want to talk about a statement of God's absolute sovereignty and salvation? This is God's judgment on the presumption and pride of his covenant people in the Old Testament depicted here in Jerusalem and Judea who in their presumption and pride, well, we're children of God. We can live how we want. We can think what we want. We can act how we want, but we're right with God. And Isaiah literally prophesies this. He says, you know those who never sought after me, who never asked for me, who had no desire for me, All they wanted was idols and immorality and that. I'm going to come and save them. I'm going to give them eyes to see, ears to hear, new hearts to believe, minds. I am literally going to come and say, you are mine. And they will have faith. Again, verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That's Isaiah 65, verse 1. But see the contrast of Isaiah 65, verse 2, Romans 10, 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That the Jews did not trust and believe in God is no fault with God. He gave them everything. He gave them his law. He gave them his word. He gave them all the covenants. He sent his prophets. Gave them everything. But their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard. Ultimately, to understand how hard their hearts were, is to continue in Isaiah 65. It's Isaiah 65, verse 5. This is the ultimate summarizing of the obstinate, hard hearts of those who refuse to submit to the gospel of God. And it's Isaiah 65, 5. This is a very important verse. That's a good way to memorize it. Isaiah 65, 5. Here's a chief verse. And this verse is one of the best verses that depicts not only the the obstinate refusal to submit to the gospel of unbelieving Jews, it's also ultimately a depiction of unbelieving Gentiles. It's everyone, Jew or Gentile, who refuses to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's Isaiah 65, 5, who say... And this is them speaking to God who say to God, 
This is a fallen creature saying this to Almighty God, their creator. And this is what they're saying. Isaiah 65, 5, who say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. You do not get a better sum, summation of rebellion, obstinance, and pride than that. When the sinful creature says to the holy creator, I am too holy for you. I am too wise for you. I know better than you do. Isn't that, Isaiah 65.5 is one of the best verses to summarize the fallen culture of modern day United States of America or of Europe or of this world all around us. I mean, this is the dominant, the dominant rebellion and deception of this fallen world is that the world and the devil, they, they know better than God. That they're more just than God, that they're more kind than God, that they're more holy than God. That's what the world seeks to accuse the church of. That the church is actually less loving, less truthful, less kind than the ways of the world and the devil. That is the ultimate rebellious statement and mind frame of this world. And that's what the Apostle Paul is accusing of those who continue to hinder the preaching of the gospel. That they are displeasing God and opposing all mankind by hindering the spread of the gospel. We see where the Apostle Paul, in verse 16, he, he quotes from Christ in this statement. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. The filling up of the measure. Now that is an Old Testament depiction of every person, of every nation, of coming to this full mark. And when you hit that full mark, God brings his judgment. His judgment. But there's this full mark. So we see this depicted here in verse 16. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. Well, well this is what Jesus taught in Matthew. What the Apostle Paul is speaking of here in 1 Thessalonians 2.16 is what Jesus taught in Matthew 23. So if you go to Matthew 23, this is, this is where the Apostle Paul is, is going right to this teaching of Christ. So this is what Jesus taught in Matthew, tree, Matthew chapter 23. And this is Paul's way of saying in 1 Thessalonians 2, they just continue to fulfill this prophecy and teaching of Christ. That's what Paul's doing by quoting Christ here. He's, he's, he's tying this directly in. So it's Matthew 23. This is the great woe section of Jesus' teaching. This is where he said his woe against the scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders, because they were people of hypocrisy, of presumption, of pride, 
They exalted in themselves and their works and their righteousness at the expense of the truth of God's word. So it's Matthew 23, starting at verse 28. This is, this is the teaching that Paul is applying that Christ taught in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 28. Ultimately, what was the chief sin of the scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders? How was it manifest? Verse 28 of Matthew 23. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So they look really good, really religious, really devout on the outside, but inside it's nothing but wickedness, pride, obstinance, disregard for God. Oh, And if the devil in the world can keep you there, it has you. That, that, it has you. So we need to not be that. We need to be freed from that, rescued from that. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, I love this, this is what, so they'd go to, to all these tombs and, and monuments of the prophets that were killed because they spoke the truth of God. And they would do these things in verse 30, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So that's, that's how they comfort themselves. They said, we, we wouldn't have done that. We would have been much better than that. The irony of that is the people saying that are about to kill Jesus Christ. Yeah, they're deceived. They're, they're deceived. Verse 31, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Verse 32, here is the statement of Christ that the Apostle Paul is is teaching. Verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers, the measure of your sin, the measure of your rebellion. You serpents, you brood of vipers, How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Verse 34, therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill. Now he's speaking of the future. He's speaking here of the coming apostles and prophets and teachers and that that the, the Jews will continue to kill, continue to persecute, even after his resurrection. This, he's speaking of the Apostle Paul, Peter, all these who will be sent, who will continue to be opposed. Verse 34, therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. It's exactly what happened to Paul. He had to flee from Thessalonica. He went to Berea. So what did the Jews do from Thessalonica? They came to Berea with their mob, the rabble, to seek to kill Paul, and he had to flee from Berea, town to town. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul experienced. 
and persecute from town to town, verse 35, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barchiah, from A to Z. This is literally what he's depicting. As a full, the blood of the prophets and people of God. Whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Verse 36, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of in verse 16 of our passage. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. How can anyone escape from the holy just wrath of God? It's Matthew 23 39. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is to have faith in Christ as Savior, as the righteous one, as the holy one, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it is to believe in a gospel that is for everyone who would repent and believe for all who would come and repent and believe to believe in a gospel that is sent to every tribe, every name, every language, every nation, every tribe, every people group. That's the one gospel. There's one Lord, one faith, one Savior. There is one church where there is no longer Jew. Gentile, free, slave, barbarian, Scythian, Greek, but all are one in Jesus Christ. That's the one gospel. That's what it is to have full conviction in the word of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Oh, Father. How amazing is the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners. That Christ died. For all those who had come to repentance and faith. Oh, Father, we pray. That you would help us to have such full conviction. That we would hold to the truth of your scripture, the authority of your word, regardless of the persecution, opposition by the world. Father, we pray that you would help us to hold on to your word, knowing that you are holding on to us. In Christ's glorious name, amen.
I invite you to please rise and sing with me. Number 496. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine.
Let us receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the Gloria Patria. Peace.